Welcome to today's episode of the Pride Podcast, the podcast for professionals in doctoral education. Our topic today, what you should know about research ethics and research integrity in open science and citizen science. My name is Madeleine Habich and I'm part of the Pride Network Association. My guest today is Rosemary de la Cruz Bernabé. Rose is a professor of research ethics and research integrity at the University of Oslo and a junk professor of medical research ethics at the University of Southeastern Norway. She's an expert in medical research ethics and research integrity and is the project coordinator of the Rosie Project. Welcome, Rose. Hi, uh, Madeline, and thank you for, um, for today. So what is your project about and what are the main goals? The main goal of the ROSI project is to provide guidance um, in the form of an appendage or a complement to the European Code of Conduct for Research Integrity. And this will be um, an appendage on the open science aspects of research integrity. Also, uh, we will be providing policy guidance documents on open science. But on top of these uh, guidance documents, we will be also producing a uh, number one uh, um, educational materials and eventually uh, develop an open online course on research ethics and research integrity aspects of open science and also develop uh, what we call a knowledge hub. So the, the knowledge hub is meant to be um, a resource uh, that puts together materials and, and, and also uh, experts on ethics and integrity to provide also guidance on um, on open science. So these will be the main, or shall we say, the, the biggest outputs of the project. But of course, to be able to provide these major outputs, the project also needed to explore the field. I mean, you know, what do we have? What is happening in terms of open science and in terms of ethics and integrity? And the project has been coordinating, or shall we say, um, cooperating with stakeholders and other Horizon projects that are somehow also working within the same area. So that will be somehow, shall we say, rosy in a nutshell. What is particularly important in terms of research integrity in open science and citizen science? Um, when we talk of open science, keywords, or shall we say, uh, the manifestations of, of open science would be things like open data or fair data, open source, open source of many things, um, like open notebooks, for example, open open access to materials, to publications, citizen science, um, open educational resources, whether referring to online courses or just having educational materials uh, openly available. And of course, altmetrics, you know, so these are manifestations of open science. Now, when we think of these 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 open science manifestations, as I call it, of course, it's 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 very exciting because then now we have science opening up to the world, right? Much more how science has opened itself up in the in the past, right? But at the same time, because we are we are radically opening science and how we do research, we we also start to see that open science or this new way of doing science will create either new ethical and integrity issues or will present ethics and integrity issues in a level or in a gravity that we have not seen before. 
right? So think, just think of open data. So of course, um, aside from infrastructure issues on open data, I mean, you know, where do we, how do we upload? Where do we put? Who maintains all of these structural and um, administrative issues in terms of open data? We also have, of course, this this ethical issue of of increased risk of uh, re-identification of what used to be anonymized research participants. And the research has shown that this is really very likely, depending on the density of the population. For example, re-identification can be as high as 90 plus percent. Uh, but, but that's just one of the risks that we're talking about. Uh, during COVID, we saw the proliferation of fake news when it comes to what will be effective therapies. And fake news proliferation um, was started not only by by non-scientists, even even medical doctors, some of them were pr- proliferating uh, fake news. Uh, an example in hand would be um, uh, the efficacy of uh, blood plasma therapy against COVID. Right in some countries, we saw that medical doctors themselves were claiming that blood plasma therapy was effective against COVID, but now we know that this is not true. And the same thing goes with the story of ivermectin. Before there were um, any vaccines, there was this clamor by some who actually have PhDs, for example, who promoted ivermectin as, as an intervention against COVID, which now we know does not really work and it's not even safer nor effective against the virus. And outside of medicine, we have the whole issue of climate change. Again, even highly educated individuals can be climate change deniers. In the very early days, we saw this in, in the fake news of, of cigarettes. That was even, you know, 30 or 20 years ago, right? But now we have climate change, we have medicine, and we also have politics. I mean, we have all sorts of things. Right? Now, so, so this whole issue of fake news, it's not only something that happens in social media. This happens also within us academics. As we open research and, and science in general, this whole story of fake news, that the proliferation of fake news, we can imagine it will also blow up into a certain proportion uh, that we saw in the pandemic and maybe in a proportion that we have never seen before. Uh, we said that citizen science is one of the manifestations of open science. Now, but how do we include citizens really as scientists? And this has repercussions not only in how professional um, scientists work with citizens as citizen scientists, but also how the how we acknowledge them. For example, in publications, do they become co-authors? What if we had one hundred citizen scientists? Um, engaged in your research? Will they all be co-authors? How do you determine who should be co-author or not? Right? Simple things as that can be very complicated. Uh, and then, of course, there will be issues such as uh, informed consent. How how do we gather informed consent in a way that it is valid, considering that the risks of, for example, um, re-identification can be quite high? so on and so forth. I mean, how can we explain all of these risks in a manner that is truly understandable by the research participant? You know, so then then we we now have to think of how do we become more creative in this informed consent procedure? And so we have to rethink how we have been doing informed consent. How about opt-out consent procedures where where a participant is considered a participant unless he or she says no? You know, so um, how do we rethink all of that? 
And these are just some examples of, of issues that arise because of open science. You can also include in the whole conversation the whole issue of altmetrics. You know, so that's a new way of measuring the success of a publication or a work of science. But we know that this can go in the other way, that the person who Twitters the most uh, will have more points than a person who doesn't Twitter at all. So really, we have to somehow start rethinking how we do science. And with it, of course, is how we evaluate ethics and integrity attached to this new way of doing science called open science. And what can doctoral schools do to introduce doctoral students to research integrity in open science and citizen science from the beginning of their careers on? Actually, the, the question contained with it a very valid point. The need to introduce um, to uh, doctoral students open science and citizen science at the very early stage of their careers, right? And of course, uh, the immediate answer would be it has to be included in their curriculum. Um, but, but I think even more basic than that is for universities and colleges to have structures for open science. By providing structures, this means uh, not only having, shall we say, a, a librarian who is familiar with open science. For example, having agreements where data must be uploaded and which data must be uploaded uh, fairly. That means not only having um, a database, this also means having agreements with, with organizations or, or having people within the organization that knows how to handle GDPR, right? Knows how to handle um, issues of privacy, that knows how to handle consent, that, that knows how to play around with blinding, but not only blinding, but more importantly with anonymization, how to ensure anonymization given given that there's so much data already out there. So this points to maybe even the creation of a specific type of um, of a specialist, a specialist who really knows how to look into this whole issue of anonymization. Because, because apparently our manner of anonymizing now is not sufficient. That's what I mean by by academic institutions being structurally prepared, you know, for open science. Um, I've also mentioned having somebody from the library who is familiar with open science. Um, and that's, of course, an important aspect. But also making sure that doctoral supervisors are familiar with open science. Because it might be that structures are in place. But if your supervisors don't know about open science, much less about the ethics and integrity of open science, <laughs> so, so the PhD fellow will still have to struggle, you know, with um, doing open science. Because if the supervisor is unfamiliar with open science, much less with the ethics or actually the whole practice of doing open science, this can create an environment or maybe an unfriendly environment to, to doing open science. And um, in relation to that, this means also integrating open science in the hiring and promotion policies of the academic institution. If we are encouraging PhD fellows to know about open science and practice open science, we need to make sure that those up there in the hierarchy or up there in the ladder also do it. And one carrot to do it is to incorporate 
um, ethical and integral aspects or integral practices of open science in hiring and promotion policies. Yeah, so, so that means somehow in integrating open science in a very rounded manner, not only imposing the work on PhD fellows, but to everyone else um, responsible for doctoral um, student education and training. The project has been running for almost two years and you have started to get in touch with your target groups, including professionals in doctoral education. So what training and tools do you offer and what can our audience take away from your project? So we are currently piloting educational materials in open science, educational materials that are sensitive to field and to, to the different stakeholders. Right, so we have developed um, open science for the humanities, for the social sciences, for the medical sciences, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That is currently being piloted, and the piloting will continue until February. After which, we will be developing further these training materials and eventually create MOOCs and open online uh, courses on on open science. And in that way, we hope that we be able to contribute to doctoral student education on the ethics and integrity of open science. As earlier mentioned, the ROSU project will also come up with a knowledge hub, which we hope would be like a one-stop shop for those interested in the ethics and integrity of open science. And we will also be proposing a complement to the European Code of Conduct for Research Integrity that will be the open science aspects of it. Um, and also provide policy guidance uh, materials related to uh, the complement to the ECOC. In the future, what else can we expect from your project? We, we want the results of the project to be useful to future projects, of course. I mean, the main dream would be to, to, to contribute to European governance of open science. This would be through our main deliverables, but, but also more importantly, as by having this continuous dialogues with stakeholders on what open science, on, on what responsible and ethical open science is. And because open science can actually go in two directions, right? Open science can go lazy fare system. Let's see what happens, right? So, so if, you, if we leave it to lazy fare, we saw this already in COVID we, and we saw the ramifications of that. And um, and we see this also in, in fake science. And we know the ramifications of that. Up to now, we are still battling with with fake news about vaccines, for example. You know? so, and, and this cannot go on this way. So the other direction that open science can go is, is to be ready for it. Yeah? And to have a governance structure, an inclusive governance structure that includes not only people in Europe, but also in consideration of low and middle income countries. That can only happen if we properly prepare for open science now or maybe even yesterday. Right. So and, and Rosie is striving to be part of this whole um, preparation process for, for a governance structure for open science. So, yes, yeah, so hopefully in the future you can expect us to to contribute in this manner. Thank you, Rose, for participating in our podcast. Yeah, thank you. And it's been my pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you for listening today. If you are interested in the topic of research integrity, go on our website, have a look at our events 
because um, next year our conference topic will be research integrity. So maybe see you there. Goodbye. The Pride Podcast.